You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane, joined as always by Sean Martin. You can follow him at Sean Martin NFL. And we're joined this week by the Dallas Cowboys Radio Network sideline reporter since 1998. None other than the legendary Christy Scales. Christy, thanks for gracing our podcast this week. Hey, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Sean. Big game Monday night. I love these divisional matchups. Yeah, this is the first time we get to come on, uh, you know, on game day for the fans. Usually we're the post-game reaction, so we've done one loss and one win, and now we get to be with you, you know, before we know what happened in the game with the Giants. Right, yeah. Our podcast is generally on Mondays, so it's more of a, a post-mortem of what's happened for the Cowboys on Sunday, but now we get to have a... Oh, pre-game. wait a minute. Post-mortem? Post-mortem? Come on. Oh. One each. We've had one each. We celebrated the Bengals win pretty good. So. Okay. All right. No, this this one this one we can look ahead, and then if you want to have a special one on Wednesday in celebration, then there you go. Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely have to get with our managing editor R.J. Ochoa about that one. But let me ask you this, Christy. So we're going into Week Three Monday Night Football, and it's. Cooper Rush, it's still rush hour in Dallas. How much confidence have you seen throughout the building and at practice regarding old number 10? I think it's the same as going into week two. Uh, Zeke Elliott used the same words as Mike McCarthy saying, we're not hitting the panic button. And I think that's absolutely the truth. And not just because Cooper in his uh, first career start the previous year, had that really great win on the road in Minnesota in a hostile environment. But with Cooper Rush, you know exactly what you're getting. He is the steady Eddie of the team. You know, he's, um, I don't think that his blood pressure has probably ever been over like 110 or 115 in his life. You know, you can't rattle the guy. Uh, he certainly knows the offense. Uh, he's been with Kellen Moore for so long. And so does he have this exact same skill set as Dak Prescott? No. But can he efficiently run the offense? Yes. And if you can get the run game going, it doesn't matter whether you're Tom Brady or Roger Staubach or Y.A. Tittle or Johnny Unitas or Troy Aikman. The quarterback's best friend is a run game. And so I think what you saw happen in week two was the Cowboys, they didn't fall behind the chains because they weren't shooting themselves in the foot with dumb penalties on offense, pre-snap penalties. So uh, they were a little, they still need to improve, but they were a little bit better on their third down conversion, certainly better than week one, which was abysmal. 
but, you know, they were able to stick with the run game. And by doing that, you know, it takes some of the pressure off the, the passing game. And they certainly did a good job overall of protecting Cooper Rush. So, uh, yeah, um, I, I think that kind of steady effort, steady hand and the coaching staff knowing exactly what they have in a backup quarterback because he's been here so long. Uh, I think it, it really shows the importance of having a, a number two that's been around for a while. And this will be Russ's second primetime start, you know, last year against the Vikings that win went a long way for the Cowboys, trusting him to be the backup again this season. And so far, so good with what he did against the Bengals last week. And he completed 60% of his passes against the Vikings and then just over that 61.2 against the Bengals. So, you know, that consistency has certainly showed up for him in the stat line. Just that one interception uh, last year, but played a turnover-free game against Cincinnati. You know, all offseason, Christy, this team talked about how excited they were for the opportunities for these young receivers to really prove themselves and, st- and step up, and they were going to make the most of, you know, new opportunities out there without Amari Cooper and Chadwick Wilson, all that. Do you think it kind of helps these receivers a bit that they also have to elevate their game now because they're playing without Dak Prescott? You know, not, of course, saying that Prescott, you know, can't get the ball to these guys and isn't going to be effective when he comes back, but do you think it helps that kind of messaging where, you know, the opportunity is right out in front of these receivers to go make plays, and now it really is out there for him because they have to make plays to elevate Cooper Rush's game. You saw you know, a guy like Noah Brown who feels like he's been at the Cowboys for 20 years at this point, but he's finally getting a big opportunity, and he had the touchdown last week. Yeah, we were real fortunate to, uh, the week, going into week two, we knew that on our Cowboys Hour show, we uh, tape it on Monday nights, and it's along the Dallas Cowboys radio network, and I, I'm co-hosting it this year along with Brad Sham, the longtime radio voice of the Cowboys. And so we knew it was going to be Noah Brown. (laughs) And um, talking to Noah Monday after the game, and he really was the offensive star of the game because, you know, not only the the touchdown pass, but remember when the Cowboys went for it on fourth and two, you know, or uh, early in that first drive, uh, able to sustain the drive. And uh, Noah was the one that caught that pass and then was rewarded getting his first NFL touchdown uh, later to close out that series. But um, he did speak to the fact, and Mike McCarthy and even Kellen Moore talked about it, that he and Cooper had had so much time on task over the previous few years because they were (laughs) working together as second team and they were working together on scout team. So they did have a little bit more of a chemistry than what you would normally have when a backup comes in and, and really hasn't gotten a lot of throws with the, with the ones. So there, there is something to that. Uh, I think we actually may see um, Jalen Tolbert uh, active this week. He's the Cowboys rookie third round pick and the Cowboys uh, did a little bit of roster maneuvering this week and that they released Dennis Houston the uh, undrafted rookie free agent who was active the first two games, uh, Houston cleared waivers and they were able to re-sign him to the Cowboys practice squad. So Dennis Houston isn't going anywhere. He remains a Cowboy. But um, I think they'll use the two practice squad elevations for other players this weekend. So um, it's my understanding that Jalen Tolbert got some work with, uh, uh, got some practice time with the ones and the twos this week. But in regards to the wide receiver situation, I think it's really positive that Michael Gallup likely makes his debut on Sunday. He's been getting work with the ones 
And unless he has a setback Saturday, unless he had a setback over the weekend, we expect that he could um, get to play in this Monday night game. And as Mike McCarthy said, it's not like he's going to get 70 plays. They'll have some certain packages with him. I can't tell you right now whether it's going to be like 10 to 15 plays they hope to get him. But, you know, maybe 20, 25 would be a little too optimistic. I'll tell you, Mark and Sean, I'm hoping that Cooper isn't having to pass it too much tonight. I think that what they liked was the formula in week two. And what we have is like a combined maybe 45 touches or so for um, Zeke and Pollard. That would be not just rushing, but maybe mix in a few receptions there. And it's going to be fun to see what um, Jake Ferguson and Peyton Hendershot, the two rookie tight ends, what they do against the Giants. Because with Dalton Schultz with a knee injury, it's going to be a chance for these uh, rookies to get more playing time. And the Giants have usually struggled against tight ends. Go ahead, Mark. Sorry. I was just going to say with the rookies getting more playing time, uh, that means that Rush will have presumably more weapons, but it also bodes well for the passing game, right, Christy? I mean, for the running game. Well, I, for the running game, yes. Um, although I tell you, um, Hendershot, he doesn't get as much publicity as Jake Ferguson because Ferguson was a draft pick and Hendershot went un, undrafted out of Indiana. But um, he he's a he's more like a Blake Jarwin in terms of getting downfield, you know? So don't be shocked if you see um, some passes thrown towards Hendershot. But yes, um, the thing is the Cowboys really like to have their uh, 12 personnel package. So that's one running back with two tight ends. They relied on it more in week two. And it, uh, it was mostly Dalton Schultz and Jake uh, Ferguson out there together. But yeah, Ferguson's a very good blocker and Henderson's capable as well. So, um, and then, uh, you know, maybe some of the Sean McCune mixed in. Uh, he's been on the practice squad the first few weeks, but uh, he got some playing time last year. And he's one of those guys that's time on task with Cooper Rush because they've worked together as backups and uh, practice squads, uh, scout team guys over the previous couple years. So you might hear that name McCune mixed in a little bit too until Dalton Schultz is back 100%. Yeah, the Giants have struggled to defend the middle of the field against tight ends historically and you know, spe specifically against Dalton Schultz. So that could be a big loss for the Cowboys, but it seems like they're ready to handle it with guys like Henderson, like you said there. And, you know, of course, even with Michael Gallup, that's kind of his game as well. And it seems to be the best way to Cooper Rush throws the ball as well, being able to get the ball into those tight windows down the middle and things like that. So, you know, that's what Baker Mayfield wasn't able to do enough to go beat the Giants last week, but... You know, I, I think their 2-0 start can kind of be read through to the point where, you know, they're expecting to kind of measure themselves against the Cowboys this week. You know, they're off to a 2-0 start. The Cowboys are off to a 1-1 start. But we all know they went 6-0 in the division last year, so they're trying to build on that by, you know, keeping that streak alive. And then they'd be 2-1 with some real momentum going into the games where you can start to expect Dak Prescott back. So, you know, how much do you read into kind of the way this Cowboys team spent the offseason, you know, knowing that they were – at least in their own mind, they felt like they were head and shoulders above the rest of the NFC East. And now their first NFC East game of the year happens to come against a 2-0 team, you know, on primetime Monday Night Football. And a team that has a lot of confidence in the new coach, Brian Dable, and Daniel Jones playing some of the best football of his career. So 
certainly seems like, you know, just starting out here, this NFC East isn't going to be exactly like it was last year. And, you know, the Giants are going to be a formidable test uh, this season. Yeah, and then what the Eagles were able to do in prime time, uh, that sure caught a lot of uh, attention <laughs> uh, across the NFL and certainly here in Dallas. And uh, Jerry Jones on his weekly call-in to the fan here in Dallas, which is the flagship station of the Dallas Cowboys radio network, talking about how impressed he was with Jalen Hurts passing. But uh, McCarthy mentioned something interesting in his press conference on Thursday morning. And, you know, it doesn't happen very often that a team will go 6-0 and in its division, unless you're the Patriots, right, <laughs> for all their time with Tom when Tom Brady was there. But Mike McCarthy said that teams that go 6-0 and in their division have a 96% shot to be in the playoffs. So, But I, again, with the Giants improved. You're saying there's a chance. Yeah, to, to your point, Sean, of, of uh, the attention that's paid to the, the division, um, yeah, the, that's the number one thing, right? The, if you win your division – then you are guaranteed a home game in the playoffs. You're hosting. Even if it's first round wild card, you are hosting. So we've seen it happen so many times in recent years where teams meet up in the first round and the wild card team might have 12 or 13 wins and the division winner may have nine or even as low as eight, and, and, but it's still a home game. So the number one thing on the checklist for any NFL team is win your division and just get in the tournament, right? That's what Bill Par- Mark, remember, that's what Bill Parcells would always say, right? You just got to get right. an attorney. So, yeah, yeah. So so that's certainly the, the number one goal for the Cowboys, as it is for every other NFL team. But it, and I really, I, I'm curious what both of you think. Over the last several years, the NFL has deliberately backloaded the schedules, Right across the league to feature those division games in the final few weeks. Do, do you guys like that? I usually do. Yeah. I, I like, you know, the meeting, the impact of those matchups. And I like to kind of take a look at how the teams have changed since then, you know, here we're going to see Cowboys giants a week three and, and then not again until Thanksgiving. So, you know, so much is going to change and in a longer 17 game schedule now. Yeah. I do like to see, you know, by the end of the year, let's see how you stack up and it makes doesn't make the beginning of the season divisional games mean any less, but it just puts it in the back of your head. Like if you lost to that team early on, you've really got to wait and see how you're playing down the stretch to get that more meaningful game later on. And, you know, the Cowboys are certainly playing many of those games in the division, you know, in those week 16 and 17 matchups. Yeah, I like it because what it does is, see, football is not like baseball or basketball or hockey where there's a series involved, it's because for each team, there's about three to four versions of themselves that peak through throughout the season. So if you lose to a divisional opponent early on in September, early October, I'll give you a good example. When Dallas played Philadelphia in Week two, Monday night football in 2008, you know, they beat them in a shootout, 41-37. But then week 17, December the 28th, 2008, Dallas was, it was coming off of the loss at Texas Stadium to the Ravens. The Eagles were riding a winning streak 
um, and they had playoff beards and everything, and they just shellacked Dallas 44 to 6. Two different versions of, you know, both teams basically met on the field at Lincoln Financial Field that day. And so I do like having that first blood early in the season and then having a swath of division games in December. I don't like this element of it that they've done, which is kind of what they did with the Washington series last year where, you know, you play Washington and then there's a game in between and then you finish it up two weeks later. I don't like that aspect of it. I agree. That's more like the baseball thing, having the the three games or four game series. But it, it is kind of interesting the way that they the schedule makers had of it this year, because with the Cowboys playing the Giants in week three, then the Giants are going to be at AT&T Stadium. That's the Thanksgiving Day game. So we'll be through uh, with Cowboys Giants uh, series, you know, by Thanksgiving Whereas uh, two of the final three games for the Cowboys this season, week uh, 16 and week 18, uh, Philadelphia at home on Christmas Eve, and then the final game of the year is at Washington. So um, it's obvious that the schedule makers were thinking that uh, it would be Cowboys, Eagles, and Washington, not not the Giants, right? Um, uh, You know, competing for the the division crown at the end of the year, I think, but I think that's kind of how they set it up. But I, one thing, and people sometimes ask me, you know, sideline reporter in like 24 years, where where are some of your favorite places to play? And, you know, we're going to Lambeau this year and that's obviously the number one place to go. If, if you are an NFL fan and you get to choose one venue to visit. If you haven't done Lambo, I hope that you consider it because that's like the Mecca of football, in my opinion. But um, in regards to after Lambeau Field, my other favorite stadium is any place indoors because they always send us on the road at the end of the year in either late December or early January. And this year they close us out in Washington. And I have just stood frozen like a popsicle on too many sidelines in December, even late November, you know? So I just wish that uh, at least we get Philly at home and don't have to go up there. Hey, do you have time for one story, a funny story about just- Always. Okay, it wasn't, this wasn't the 2008 loss that Mark referenced a couple minutes ago, the 44 to six. That was, that was a road game, right, Mark? At the end of the year, it was awful. But there was one game that we had and, it was late November, early December, because it was the weekend of Army-Navy game, which was being played at the link. And so we got there on a Saturday evening, went to the link um, Saturday night, got to see Army-Navy. Well, it was a night game the next night. It was so cold. Well, our team charter, you know, we fly, it's an American Airlines plane, you know, with an American Airlines flight crew and stuff. And usually the charter will drop you off And then it'll come back, you know, and run some other routes and pick you up after the game. And we always fly home after the game, even if it's a Sunday night game or Monday night game. You don't stay a second night. You get on the plane and often don't take off until like 1.30 or 2 in the morning when it's the East Coast. It was so cold that weekend, guys. And the plane, instead of making other runs, it just sat on the tarmac for like the 36 or 40 hours, you know, from the time it landed to the time we were supposed to take off. 
So the Cowboys had just gotten shellacked. I mean, it, it was just this awful beating. And so we get on and everyone just can't wait to get home. It's already middle of the night. And it takes about 45 minutes after you get on the plane for them to get all the equipment on and the like. And finally, it's time to go. And you can feel and you can hear the plane powering up to taxi. And we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. It was so cold that the tires were frozen, (laughs) stuck to the tarmac. And they had to bring back the de-icer. They had already de-iced the wings, but they had to de-ice the tires, the rubber from the the cold. We we were literally frozen in place. And it's like of all nights to get stuck. It was just kind of the cherry on top of this, the worst ice cream sundae in history. It was like, oh my gosh. All right. I don't mean to correct, but you said it was an Army-Navy game. And it was Eagles in prime time. It, maybe um, it was prime time. I don't know. It was night when we were leaving. It might not have been prime time, but it was night when we were leaving. And it was okay. so, oh my goodness. But we just got totally shellacked. Oh, it was yeah, just Yeah, because I was trying to figure that out. Yeah, it may, maybe it wasn't a Sunday night game, but it was, it was night when we were trying to get out of there. And see, that's the other thing is these East Coast games are up north if you're in Green Bay. By the, the time October rolls around, heck, it's dark by 4.45 at night. We're doing a three-hour pregame show, and it's already, you know, been dark for an hour before we even sign on, you know? So give me games in Jacksonville in December, you know? Oh, they did. Thank you very much. December 18th. Thank you to the schedule makers. Yeah, I think I'm going to send you, a, both of you, a meme making fun of the Eastern time zone. But uh, as we still take a look at the stadiums, I'm going to be like a city councilor who moves agenda items around. Christy, they're going to MetLife Stadium. Where do you think that compares to some of the other venues that you've spent a lot of time in, like Lincoln Financial Field uh, or even some defunct ones like RFK? No, you weren't at RFK. I was as always with Jack Cook stadium well um i i produced a lot of games um 91 through 98 seasons i was the uh producer so i was up in the booth first with brad sham and dale hansen and then of course it was brad sham and babe loffenberg so i've done tons of games at rfk um metlife has not been a difficult place for the cowboys um just because the Giants have not been good the past several years. And there's so many Cowboys fans on the East Coast that you, you get a lot of Cowboys fans, even in Philadelphia, believe it or not. You get a, a pretty good contingent of Cowboys fans. And somehow they always manage to get tickets in the lower level, you know, on the visiting sidelines. So there's always, um, you know, a, a nice showing. I tell you, old RFK, the, the new – well, the new, it's been around, what, 24, 25 years, but FedEx field <laughs> there, are, it's like, a, it's been like a Cowboys home game the last several years, because I know Washington made the playoffs a few years ago, but man, these past couple years, it was so funny. We, um, last year, yeah, it had to be 2021. Cause we 2020 with COVID, we weren't on the sideline and we didn't travel with the team. But anyway, last year, of course, they had replaced when they went to Washington football team and got rid of their previous moniker and they didn't have the band anymore. 
and they are uh, bringing back the cheerleaders and the band this year with their new Washington Commanders uh, logos and things like that, branding. Well, last year they had like a spirit team that comes out and they're tossing um, T-shirts into the crowd. And the security guard leans over to me as the spirit people are out there throwing the T-shirts into the stands. And he says, look out, we're about to get pelted with T-shirts. And I'm like, what do you mean? He says, there aren't any Washington fans down here. They're all cowboy fans and they're going to throw the shirts right back at them, which they did. I mean, it's so bad in Washington these past, you know, last year that they they couldn't even give away free T-shirts without having uh, visiting fans throw them back on the field. But MetLife, back to your question, Mark, of MetLife Stadium, uh, boy, it sure sounded loud last week for their uh, home win uh, over Carolina. So maybe it'll be a little more partisan this week. There's one other thing remember a few years ago metlife stadium was the site of the rally cat remember remember yeah, when yeah the- that's right 2019 yeah. monday night football yeah remember that so- friends of mine the picture of that cat so. <laughs> yeah it's a it was a black cat but if you remember i don't know the score mark might but uh, the cowboys were trailing at the time and then you see this black cat come out on the field and it's like oh that's bad luck but it was bad luck for the Giants because the Cowboys actually came back and won that game. And then actually later in the season at AT&T Stadium, Corey and the guys with the in-stadium entertainment crew, they had video of the black cat. And so there were a couple times where the Cowboys were behind and they would show the rally cat and it really got the fans fired up. It was actually yeah, pretty funny. They were down 12-3 to and the offense just looked – inept kind of like it did in new orleans earlier that year and it did it just all turned on that that was that's one of the craziest things i've ever seen on the sideline the other thing that happened at metlife um and it was it was a giants game i don't think it was jets i think it was yeah it was giants and it was like early in the third quarter it was a night game or a late afternoon game but whatever it was dark outside when this happened but all the lights in the stadium went out And I remember Alan Ball was playing defensive back for the Cowboys. The defense was on the field. Yeah, it was 2010. It was Jason Garrett's first game. And so um, Alan was the only smart guy. As soon as the lights went out, he just went flat on his face. He got down, you know, as if maybe there was some kind of like terror thing or something. The rest of us are just standing around like, oh, look, the lights went out, you know. But uh, he was alert and went down. I mean, they came back on, but uh, what was it? Maybe just like a three-minute break or something like that. But um, everyone was just kind of on their toes because it was near the 10-year anniversary. I guess it would have been nine years after the 9-11 attacks there. And also, remember in the uh, partial darkness, Felix Jones caught a screen pass and took it all the way to the house with Roy Williams the receiver running as his protector, flashing the hook'em horns. Oh my gosh! Oh, see, Mark has the best memory. I know you know. I don't know why show. I don't remember that, but hook'em horns because I'm recording <laughs> <I'm recording laughs> from Austin, so I got to throw that in there. Oh yeah, you're going at this Aggie just because we're having a tough season, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. We can take it. 
I got to ask, what was your initial impression of MetLife Stadium? Because I have a lot of friends who are fired up for this game on Monday. They're going to be there. New Jersey is my home state, so they're going to be at Cowboys Giants. And, you know, they, they love the stadium only because, you know, it's they get to see their, their team, basically. They, they've admitted that it's not a great stadium. It's not a great ambiance. It's not you know, the environment. All those things, you know, MetLife has caught criticism for. But all of that goes away when you're a passionate fan about to see your team play. And so that's kind of the impression that I get from Giants fans walking into MetLife Stadium. Uh, but what, as a reporter, what was your initial impression going in there to a new building in a market like New York where you're expecting you know, maybe something better than how it's currently viewed in the rankings of NFL stadiums going on right now? Well, it's big. You know, actually, by seating capacity in terms of the number of seats, it's actually the largest in the NFL, 82,500. Now the Cowboys get larger crowds because the seating is 80,000, but then by the time you add in the standing room only, uh, the Cowboys average usually around 93 to 94,000 fans a game. So it's really big. When the Giants are doing well, it can be really, really loud. But as I say, it's just kind of lost some of the edge, just the same way that the Cowboys in, in Washington has lost the edge over the last several years, because other than maybe a year or two, you know, not one of the teams hasn't been good, right? So, uh, but it the way that they have the stadium, it's really neat. The outside, it, it with the, it's almost like the louvers, kind of, it looks really cool. And then the way that they can flip it between the Jets and the Giants is really neat. And when you're walking through the bowels of the stadium, you know, when you're walking underneath, uh, you, you know, a lot of it's green because they have their, the Jets have their own home locker room and the Giants have their own home locker room. So we've been there a couple times for Jets games. Obviously we're there every season for Giants games. And so it's really interesting to see how quickly they can flip it um, with the signage and then the padding that they do along the perimeter of the field and flip it from blue to green and, and have it either uh, Jets or Giants. So from a design standpoint, it's really unique how they can do that and do it so quickly and effectively. Well, let me ask you this. How quickly do you think Cowboys fans flipped their lids when they heard Jerry Jones talk about, I'd love to have a quarterback controversy between Cooper Rush and Dak Prescott. Wouldn't that be something? I'd walk to New York for that. That was excellent. That's a very good Jerry Jones impersonation but uh i think most fans just kind of roll their eyes and like harry goes again and understand that that's jerry jerry the promoter but I, I think we all understand what he means right that that he's hopeful that cooper rush wins enough games that uh you know people aren't having to think that you've got to hurry dak back but there is absolutely no question within the organization that dak prescott is the number one quarterback and when Zeke and some of the other players were told of, you know, what Jerry had said, they just kind of smiled. And Zeke said, well, you know, he's getting the clicks. He's getting the attention. So he's he's the master marketer. But, yeah, I, there, there is and, – and even Mike McCarthy in his press conference on Friday morning just shaking his head and uh, making sure that everybody understands that Sometimes it's Jerry, the owner, that's talking, and sometimes it's Jerry, the general manager, that's talking. And so when he was talking about that thing about the quarterbacks, in Mike McCarthy's eyes, it was Jerry, the owner, uh, talking and 
drawing up more interest in the team. Yeah. And here's the thing, though. I think if you went back to 1991, for example, and let's just say that there were eight morning shows on cable television back then, and there was Twitter, and there were podcasts, and there was every known beaming into your consciousness as there is now with sports talk, I think they, and Jerry wouldn't have had to have done anything, I think they would have said Steve Burline ought to be quarterback of the Cowboys and not Aikman because he gets hurt all the time because that was the third straight year that he had gotten hurt and he wasn't leading them to the playoffs. It was Burline with a four-game winning streak. Yeah. So, and even before that in 1989 when they drafted Steve Walsh in the supplemental, you know, oh, that's Jimmy's guy. and Jimmy had him at Miami. So, oh, my gosh. Uh yeah, I, sometimes social media can be, um, from my perspective, tedium, <laughs> but uh, I understand that, that it's necessary and, and that it really is overall. I mean, it it's, can be a lot of fun and it's a, a way for everyone to exchange ideas, but it's like, oh my well, God. Well, I like my three bots that guaranteed like my post. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I mean, seriously, anyone who follows this team understands what Jerry was saying and understands that there's absolutely no quarterback controversy in Dallas. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. I don't mean to rush things along, but... Well, getting to our next topic with Dak Prescott, I think this is the real question about where Prescott is, and that's, is the organization, is Jerry, is he being rushed, pushed back into action too soon? Because now they're talking about he'll be ready to go optimistically against Washington, 
You think he's being pushed back too soon? No. No, because they have so much committed to him, so much of the salary cap, so much money they've already paid. They, they're not going to rush him. Absolutely not. Um, and in practice during the, you know, towards the end of last week, he was out there and he, in his jersey, wasn't out there Wednesday, and he still has the uh, bandage, the white strip over the uh, base of that thumb because the stitches were still in, at least as of Friday, the stitches were still in. So he has a uh, cover over the um, uh, sutures there or the incision where the surgery was. But um, he on Thursday and Friday, he was out there and just kind of um, at least Thursday, I'm not sure about Friday, but um, doing all of the motions like with the run game, but he wasn't gripping a football. There was this training ball, like a smaller ball that he was gripping, but he was going through a lot of the footwork and things like that, but just not gripping a football or throwing it. So uh, he's already, you know, out there doing a a, a tiny, tiny bit. But, you know, uh, when Steven was on with me in the owner's box, the interview that we do on the field, that's about 25 minutes before kickoff. And this was before week two. Uh, Cincinnati and Stephen was saying week three or week four and some people misinterpret that what he meant was three to four weeks from the injury from the surgery and some people thought that that meant that the Joneses thought that Dak would be back for week three um, at New York or week four against Washington. And that's not what Steven meant. How much of a concern do you think, you know, when Dak Prescott comes back, not that the offense, you know, can't find itself, but like Mark touched on so well, I think how you have to play with different versions of your offense and your whole team throughout the season, you know, how much of a concern is there when you know, you're going to insert Prescott back in the lineup and it's going to be right back to high expectations, regardless of what Cooper Rush does, you know, leading into this. If Cooper Rush was winning, of course, it's going to be you know at an all-time high, and here we go trying to win the division again. If not, it's going to be up to Dak to try to you know dig him out of a hole, much like he was doing playing from behind against Tampa Bay. We all know how well that went. But then there's also questions on the offensive line. You know they've been working Jason Peters at both left tackle, left guard, and right tackle throughout practice this week. So you're dealing with you know a quarterback switch that we know is upcoming. You know regardless of what Jerry says, when Dak is ready, the quarterback switch is going to happen. So that's in the horizon. And then you have, you know, potential shuffle on the offensive line as well. You know, how much, I guess, do we trust, like, you know, this coaching staff, which got pretty good reviews coming off the Bengals game. It was a positive for Mike McCarthy. It was a positive for Kellen Moore. Those two coaches and the rest of the staff to kind of guide them through this as Peters, you know, figures to be part of the plan here at whatever position they have for him. I also kind of wonder, you know, if Peters is questioning, you know, what he signed up for here with the Cowboys, he's a career left tackle that played so many games in Philadelphia. So he played against the Cowboys. Everybody in the world at this point knows that, you know, he's a veteran left tackle. And he even said when he signed here, you know, he doesn't care between if he's a, on field as the left tackle or if he's developing Tyler Smith and being a backup tackle. But I think the plan all along was still to be that guy. And now they're saying, hey, go see what, you know, left guard feels like. And also, hey, maybe you're the right tackle. Terrence Steele does a workout. So your thoughts on that as well as just what he might mean to this next uh, this next unit on the offensive line that we might see in the next couple of weeks? 
Yeah, well, my concern with Dak is not expectations because the expectations are going to be there no matter what. My concern is his accuracy, (laughs) you know, gripping the ball and trying to fire it in there. He did not have a good game in week one. (laughs) That was before the the injury, you know, wasn't hitting guys in stride and missed some throws. But um, that that would be my concern about Dak is just the physical part of of it Uh, or just, you know, if it gets – it wasn't even a hit to the helmet. His thumb didn't even strike a helmet. It was just an opposing player's hand. So the physical part is my concern. Um, As for offensive line uh, with Jason Peters, um, they're working him on the left side and, and not the right side. So don't worry about anything with right tackle. Now, if there if there were to be an injury to Terrence Steele, things could change. But and not that Tyler Smith's play at left tackle hasn't also warranted this, but do you feel like, you know, the Cowboys almost feel like they have to be proven right about his play at tackle? You know, the Amari, I think of the Amari Cooper, tra- Cooper trade, it got criticized so much this offseason. They pushed back every time, even though he, you know, scored a touchdown last night on Thursday night, and that trade continues to just not look good for them. And, you know, they kind of know that, but they won't address it head on. And now with the Smith thing as well, you know, everybody said, you know, why do you draft a college tackle who's going to have his struggles at that position to play guard when you still are going to need a tackle at some point, giving Tyron's injury history and then the injury happened right away, but Smith is held up. So do they feel, you know, to some extent that you know, they almost have to keep him out there to just be proven right that, you know, hey, we still know what we're doing when it comes to drafting offensive linemen. And it's been the core of this team for a while. And, you know, we did go find our future left tackle now. Yeah, I, I understand your point, you know, vindication for making that pick. And and sure, there are teams, and it's happened with the Cowboys in the past, where they've stuck with high draft picks longer than they, they should have. But I think Tyler Smith, through these first two games, has more than held his own, <laughs> you know? So uh, it, it's, look, it's hard to, you know, it's not fair the first month of an NFL season to say, hey, great pick, and it's really going to work out. But but he's, he's actually put, played pretty well these first two weeks, and they're happy with what they've had. And so much so that they don't feel like they have to rush Jason Peters in. Uh, I think that if we'd have seen Jason Peters in week two, or if you see him in week three, or if he were out there in week four at left tackle, then, then that would be bad because it means that Tyler Smith wasn't up to – uh, the task so early in the season of his, of his rookie campaign. So, um, no, I, I think Tyler Smith is more than, than, uh, held his own. That doesn't mean that you don't have to help him at times. That doesn't mean that there aren't going to be some mistakes along the way where they're, you know, miscommunication or an occasional blown assignment or a pre-snap penalty. But, um, I would say so far so good with Tyler Smith. And I really like it. He's such a, he's really a fine young man, um, and just a guy you really want to root for what he went through his teenage years with Blunt's disease and all that he's come through so much pressure on him, a hometown kid coming home as a first round pick. And I think he's really handled it beautifully and, uh, could be the start of a, a really good career for a fine young man. I hope, I hope it is. All right. Let me ask a, a, a delicate question about that. So he's a home, hometown kid coming back playing for the hometown team. Is he really though when he grew up a Saints fan though? Yeah, I know, but you know when you know he's what 15 miles from the stadium is where he grew up, you know? 
So I, I get I get your point. I get your point. And as a side note, I've met a lot of Saints fans here in Austin, and they're awesome. So I, I respect Saints fans. Oh, yeah. No, no question. I'm just saying, like, is he really going and playing for the hometown team when in his heart it was the Saints? That's all I'm saying. But I guess if he went and played for the Saints, kind of like my and Taco Charlton, who were big Cowboys fans growing up, and then they play here. We don't refer to them as hometown, you know, playing for the hometown team. So, right, yeah, right. I guess it would be Tyler Smith playing for the hometown team. Would, would would Matthew Stafford? He'd be playing for the hometown team if he came back, even though he won a Super Bowl with the Rams. So, you know, I, I don't know what I don't know what his allegiance was at Highland Park High School, but right. yeah, yeah, actually. Uh, the the Cavante Turpin thing um, with him wearing number nine with Tony Romo, and uh, it was pretty funny because he's in front of his locker, and Mike Ducey from uh, Fox Four here in Dallas, the local Fox affiliate, is like, "Oh, were you a, a Tony Romo fan growing up?" And Cavante says, "Not really, but you know, number nine in the history, blah blah blah." And so Cavante answers one other question. And then remember, we were had the Bengals game coming up, and Tony's gonna be the announcer for that game. And so I'm like, Cavante, you know, Tony's with uh, CBS, and he'll be commentating at least one of your games this year. So let me ask you one more time: Were you a Tony Romo fan growing up? Yes, I was. <laughs> and he looks into the straight into the the camera and says, "Tony, I got you, man. You know, I'm proud to be wearing your number." Or something like that. I'm paraphrasing, but it was really pretty funny. So Cavante learned very quickly, you know, hey, <laughs> play play to the hometown crowd and play to the hometown hero. Definitely. Romo had a comment about them having the same type of speed during the broadcast. So yeah. Romo yeah. Was good, good uh-huh. yeah. And as a matter of fact, when Cavante Turpin had that 20-yard punt return, that was actually the second longest – play by a number nine in AT&T Stadium since uh, week four of 2014 when Romo had a 21-yard run against the Saints. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So so Romo is as fast as Turpin. Wow. That's right. That's what I'm saying. Wow. Okay. <laughs> they... They, they need you. They need you. They need you to feed this info to Tony. See, right? Just, just be in this headset. Yeah. I text cousin Andy fun stuff every now and then. We'll see what happens if I can try to sneak stuff into the broadcast booth. Um, but let's go ahead and get to some more Cowboys minutia with Cowboys birthdays. Starting off today, actually game day. Byron Jones turns thirty years old what are your memories of byron jones Christy? uh being on the field with him in uh arizona and talking about his two brothers who were in the service um and one of them's navy diver a diver in the uh, u.s navy other one's army and he had been uh redeployed over to the middle east and that was when all of the controversy was happening about kneeling or not kneeling you know one of the first uh, go rounds with that. And okay. 2017 Monday night football. Yeah. Game, that right? was the one where the Cowboys were criticized for, uh, it was incorrectly reported that they kneeled during the national anthem. They were not kneeling during the national anthem. They took a knee 
before and then stood up for the anthem. But anyway, I just remember talking to him on the field about that before the game, you know, what his brothers thought about, um, you know, some players kneeling and did they think it was disrespectful? And he's like, no, you know, you just talked to one of his brothers about it. And it's like, Hey, that I'm paraphrasing, but Hey, that's why, you know, that's why we're fighting, you know, so that people have the right to, to, you know, express their opinion. So, and then the other thing is Byron, um, back when he was in college, he was a congressional intern. He went to UConn, but he uh, went down to Washington, D.C. I believe it was a summer semester and interned for a U.S. congressman. So as far as I know, he may be the only um, cowboy who has spent a summer in Washington, D.C. I did that one summer when I was in college. So I just remember talking to him about that. So those are my two Byron Jones stories. All right. Who has an Alex Barron memory? He turns 40 years old on Wednesday. He played tackle for Dallas in 2010. As a matter of fact, Dallas traded Bobby Carpenter to St. Louis at cut down after preseason to obtain Alex Barron. Anybody got a memory? I recognize the name, at least. That's about all you're going to get. All right, no. I got a memory. Okay, sure. All right, week one, 2010, September the 12th, 2010, Dallas, Washington, Sunday night football. Tony Romo scrambles around uh, with, the play, with the game clock expiring, and he finds Roy Williams for the game-winning touchdown pass. But Alex Barron Wait, held, that was him. Um, and, he, and it negated the touchdown and the game was I know over. That play. And the game ended. No wonder I didn't want to remember Alex from Barron. Alex Barron holding. Does he still make the birthday list? We you still keep him on the birthday list, even though his penalty cost the touchdown. Of course, yeah, because it generates a memory. Okay, who do we have another birthday? Because you can't end on a negative like that. Oh no, no. Okay. Oh no, we got. Oh no, go. no, we got a kicker here. Uh, well, not a kicker, more like a linebacker. On Thursday, Ken Norton Jr. turns 56 years old. Of course, won two Super Bowl rings with the Cowboys in 92-93. What do you remember hearing about Ken Norton Jr. when you were running the board for the Cowboys radio network? Yeah, well, yeah, so I was producing. I was actually um, in the uh, booth. No, on the board, that's right. That was just the dominating defensive effort, I think, of the Super Bowl win over – over Buffalo when I think of Ken Norton Jr. All right, and those are your Cowboys birthdays. Christy, where can they find you on Twitter? At Christy Cowboy, and Christy is spelled K-R-I-S-T-I, so at Christy Cowboy. Christy, this was awesome, and, uh, you know, I used to put my headphones on and take the train all up and down New Jersey and New York, but still be listening to you guys to get my Cowboys fixed, so can't say how much uh, of a pleasure it is to get to be on the pod with you. Well, Sean, thanks for letting me share the the time with you guys. This has been a lot of fun, and um, you know, I again, I, I you need to talk to your editor there and and see if you could do a victory one on on a Tuesday or do something Wednesday. You know, because this this post mortem talk we can't have that. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, my terminology. I apologize. Yeah, I I like to call uh, Monday mornings around here after a Cowboys loss. CSI Dallas. You know, you have this. 
you have this corpse and just like Mark, Mark's postmortem, you have to do the, the uh, autopsy and, and uh, figure out what went wrong. So it's <laughs> You know, it'd be crazy. It's not happened since they instituted ties after overtime in 1974. But it'd be crazy if Dallas had a tie this season because I don't know how they would know how to analyze it because it's always such a zero-sum game of, well, Dallas did well or Dallas was terrible. Like, how I just want to see a tie to see how the machine would process it. I guess it would depend on how the game ended, right? If it were a furious comeback to, you know, snatch a tie out of the jaws of defeat, that's one thing. But if you're blowing the lead, right, and give up the the win, then it would be thought of, it would be a postmortem instead. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't. I really don't like this 17-game schedule, and I know that ultimately it's going to 18 games. There's no doubt about it. It's just a matter of time. There's too much money out there, um, you know, for them to to stay at 17 or go backwards. But maybe I'm just a little too close to it because most of my job in game is to report injuries, but it's just not su- sustainable, you know. And I'm sorry, I don't want games in the middle of January in Cleveland where it's third-string quarterbacks and fourth-string tackles trying to protect them just because you can't get these guys um, through a 17-game season. We couldn't even get them through a 16-game season. So, heck, we couldn't even get Dak through the first game. (laughs) So I just don't think it's good for the quality of play. And I don't like Thursday. I don't like having Thursday night games every week either, because that's poor quality of play, uh, and so unfair for the road teams to have the short week. So uh, different for Thanksgiving, but I don't want to take too much. We'll, I'll, we'll still be on this podcast a week from right now if you get me going on this. So I will say my piece and end it. Thank you for letting me vent. All right, there you go. You've been listening to the Hidden Yardage podcast follow us on apple spotify tune in and stitcher so there it is